Hello and a warm welcome. I'm Armin Trost, professor at the Furtwangen University in Germany. And this is my series on human resources strategies, a real master course for advanced HR students, professionals and executives. This series is available on YouTube and on all podcatchers like iTunes or Spotify. All slides that support this series are available on my website. For more information, please read the description to this YouTube or podcast. I'd also like to refer to my book, Human Resources Strategies, available at most online bookstores. So, again, thanks for listening Have fun and gain valuable insights into the fascinating world of HR strategies. So, here is the last episode around learning. And, oh, actually... There is another episode about executive education. Um, but in this episode, I would like to talk about learning in an agile business environment. It's very special. And uh, let me start with uh, traditional thinking. And in traditional thinking, there is a fundamental idea on how corporate learning is supposed to work. And let me simplify this a bit. What really happens is a separation of learning context and business context. What does that mean? First, there is a business context. In the business context, this is the real world. This is the world where people work on a daily basis. This is where problems occur. This is where problems are supposed to be solved. Here we have tasks, challenges, problems, projects, maybe requirements that we see competencies that we feel as being relevant. So that's the business context. Okay, reality. So what we always did as part of learning was we try to derive so-called learning objectives out of the business context. The question was simple. It was just about, okay, if this is the reality, if this is the future, what are the things that people, employees, managers, expert are supposed to learn and we put this into learning objectives i mean this is how most university programs uh, uh, have emerged we sat together maybe with the industry and thought about mm, okay our graduates what should we prepare them for for what do we prepare them of course for the business reality okay What do they need to be able to? Okay, and, and based on this, we have defined learning objectives. And these learning objectives then were translated into a separate learning context. That's the university. That's the school. That's the seminar room. That's the corporate university. Okay, this is the training and development curriculum <laughs> with the different modules and courses and whatever. And in the learning context, we thought about the teaching content. Huh? 
what to do there, what are what is the content, yeah, uh, who are the right instructors, the right trainers, experts to be involved in these programs, uh, courses, uh, webinars, or whatever. We thought about various formats, not only classroom, but also online things, um, whatever. And also we thought about maybe something like assessment, uh, final evaluation, testing, and all these things. So learning takes place in the learning context. But the application of what is learned in the learning context is the business context, the reality. So the special challenge was always How, how companies can make sure that a learning transfer takes place so that people can apply in reality, in the business context, what they have acquired in the learning context. Okay? That's the traditional way of thinking very often of the job training. Okay? Now, Let's move to a different business environment. Let's look at an agile business environment. And we were talking about the structural and cultural context heavily in the sixth and the seventh episode. And I would like just to pick out a few characteristics of an agile context. So let's assume there is not only a low task certainty, but also a high task dynamic. What does that mean? I mentioned that uh, sometimes, and I still will in future episodes, here we have tasks where the outcome is not clear. And the way to get there is not clear either. And the task might be big, might be a project. Okay, you want to develop a new product, you do not know how the product is going to look like in the end. And you work in teams, that means high task dynamic. You work as a system, not, not uh, um, with divided labor. It's not an individual contribution. It's a group contribution. It's a shared contribution, common contribution. And um, only experts are involved. Yeah, there are people who know a lot about their particular fields and they all work together. And there is no superior hero or boss yeah, above telling, look, This is the solution. This is the answer to all your questions. This is simply not there. And the people are used to think and act in an iterative way and in short cycles. Right? They are used to sit together on a weekly basis, on a bi-weekly basis, on a, maybe on a daily basis to think about, okay, where are we? What do we do next? Uh, and that's very adaptive, very dynamic. And also, let's assume that people face a high level of autonomy and self-direction. They are not, it's not about babysitting. It's about trusting the people that they will come up with the right, the right solution to a, to a given problem. Right? Um, and another thing here is that these people are very much dedicated to their clients They do not think in that way of, okay, we have done a good job when the boss is happy. They don't think that way. They rather think about, we have done a good job when the client is happy. Okay, This is, again, a very important principle in agile environments. So this is just a, a summarized view on the context we were talking about here now and where learning is supposed to take place. Now, Let's look at the learning case I would like to focus on. Let's assume the learning case is really about creation. 
There is no answer. There is no expert. There is no book. There is no instructor. There is no professor who comes up and says, look, this is your problem. Here's the solution. You have to create it. Right? It's more about creation, not about mediation. And it's the group who is learning and not the individual. Everybody knows that this is a, a more mid or maybe long-term journey. They will find the solution to their problem not tomorrow, not this week, maybe over the course of a couple of months. And it's unique, really. It's unique. They know Once they have solved this, prob solved this problem, they will learn a lot, of course, and they can apply their learning for other cases. But, but it's not something that, that, that happens all the time in the same way. Okay, so that's the context and the learning case. And now you can imagine that it's simply not possible to invite the group into a seminar I mean, let's have a, a specific problem, okay? Let's assume the problem is that a company wants to... Now, let's pull something from the air. Uh, let's say, okay, we have a product here. Let's say um, a vacuum cleaner. Okay. And the group understood that the vacuum cleaner in the future must be digitized. It must be connected so you link your vacuum cleaner to the to um, to VLAN, yeah, to Wi-Fi, and um, it should do certain things. You want to connect this product to other things because you see some use cases on this, whatever the use cases might be, yeah, for some customers. Hmm. Okay, how can we do this? It's a problem, and now you can. You can ask all those people involved to go to a seminar, but in the seminar they will not find the solution to this because there is still nobody there who has connected a vacuum cleaner, a digitized vacuum cleaner. So you have to create this. Seminars don't work. Books don't work. There is no webinar on, on, on this. So learning must take place in a different way. Now, let me share with you a little bit a model that describes how learning happens in such an agile setting and i named this agile learning and what you must imagine now is a two time two portfolio okay two time two four fields left right bottom and up so left and right is about the level of knowledge being available left side means you have no knowledge you don't know the solution right Right side is, you have the knowledge. You know the solution. <laughs> so learning is what happens when you move from left to right, from lacking knowledge to knowledge. Okay. Uh, the other dimension there in my picture that you might now imagine when you listen to the podcast and not to YouTube is the bottom layer and the upper layer. The bottom layer is about uh, being unconscious, things that happen unconsciously. Yeah, without being aware of. And the upper layer is being conscious, doing things in a very conscious way. Um, you are aware of what, what you are thinking. You are aware of what you do, right? In the bottom left-hand field, lacking knowledge, unconscious. This is what we name ignorance. You, you do not know something and you do not know that you don't know something. I mean, that's... 
that's for all of us the, the default setting. I mean, most things in life we don't know. Really not. And we do not know what we don't know. This is ignorance. I mean, it's not meant in a negative way. It's just, just saying it. Yeah? You, you are not aware of billions of people you will never meet in your life. You're not aware about the wonderful things that you could know about whatever. Science, history, uh, politics, whatever. Uh, but ignorance is not a good state to learn, really. To, to learn something, you, you should move to a level where your, your uncertainty, your lacking knowledge becomes conscious, where you feel, oh, oh, I don't know something. I know now that I don't know something, whatever it is. Yeah? And here I name this relevant uncertainty. Relevant is important because it does not, it is not enough just to know that you something don't know. It must be relevant. Oh, I don't know the solution to this problem, or we don't know the solution to this problem, but we should. Now things become relevant. You know that you have a problem, and the problem is decent. It has a meaning. You better solve it. And moving from ignorance to relevant uncertainty is the process that we could name irritation. That's the process where you learn that you something no no. Might be that you see a cool product on the competitor side and you think, hey, why, why are they capable of doing that? You see that revenue drops with your current product and you feel that, oh, you have to come up with something new here, but you don't know what that new thing might be, right? Could be certain incidents, sometimes even a keynote, sometimes just a book, sometimes a conversation with somebody that makes you aware that you don't know something, but you, you better should. This is the process of irritation. Irritation is a very important prerequisite for successful learning in an agile environment. Okay, Now you, you are on this conscious, conscious level of relevant uncertainty. Now you move from lacking knowledge to knowledge. But how does that happen? That does not happen by reading a book because the knowledge is not there. It's not by inviting a consultant because he probably does not know the solution. You have to create your knowledge. And how does that work in an agile work, uh, in working environment? It works through reflection, through constant iterative cycle of trying and failing and trying and failing and learning and failing and trying and learning and failing and getting better every day. Right? You explore, you experiment, you, you define some assumptions, some hypotheses. You learn that you were wrong. Okay, do it again. You create a prototype, show it to the client. Is that the right way we should go? The client says, no. Oh, what, what should we do different? The client can't tell you. So let's, let's, let's do it again. So this is a stepwise, painful Intense process. You see? And that happens while you work. Actually, this is your work. This is your work to solve problems. You see? In an agile world, there is no difference between work and learning. 
There is no difference between business context and learning context. It's the same. It's like with any scientist. A scientist says, oh, I don't have an answer to this question. Hmm. Who knows the answer? Nobody. Okay, that's creation. Okay, so let's start. Let's have an experiment. Let's have a hypothesis. Do the experiment. Learn. Oh, we were wrong. Okay, let's adjust the hypothesis. Let's do another experiment. Hmm. Now things turn out to be a little bit more significant. <laughs> yeah? And this is how we gain knowledge. And again, this is a very conscious process, right? And in the end, you have something that we name explicit knowledge. Knowledge you are aware of. Knowledge that you can document. Knowledge that you can publish. Knowledge that you can share with others. Knowledge that you can articulate. It's in your working memory, so to speak, right? And once you use explicit knowledge over and over again, then your brain acts and says, okay, now you don't need to be this, you don't need to process this explicit knowledge in your conscious mind. Now let's move that to your unconscious mind. And this is what we name internalization. It's like when you learn driving a car, in the beginning, you do things in a very conscious way. Okay, now turning the key, then putting in the gear, then push this pedal and then pedal and then slowly you do it in a very conscious way. But after a while, after practice, things become unconscious again. You internalize. That it means knowledge is still there, but now it's no more explicit. It's implicit. Implicit. It's still there. You know how to do things. You know how to see things. But now it's very hard to explain it. I mean, if I ask you now, if, if you play any instrument, if you can play Stairway to Heaven on the guitar and you did that 1,000 times and I ask you, how do you do this? It's very hard for you to explain. You have to pick a guitar and you have to observe yourself, really. But you have the knowledge. But it's very hard to explain implicit knowledge. That's why, by the way, we're going to talk about this. That's why knowledge management very often does not work well. But this process of, of articulating Implicit knowledge is what we name externalization. So when you ask an expert, hey, how do you do this? Then the expert must think, hmm, I don't know, I just do it. Uh, let me think, how do I do this? Oh, I guess I do it that way. This is the process of externalization. And by the way, very often what they tell you is not the truth. <laughs> not because they are liars, but they don't know how they do things. I mean, we know this from sports. There is a lot about research, let's, for instance, in golf. In golf, when you look at the great players in the world, Jack Nicklaus, uh, uh, Ben Hogan, and, and whoever, I can, you name it, it's, it's not a good idea just to ask them, how do you do this swing? I mean, of course, they have written books about it. But very often we know this. What they describe is not what they do. It's just what they think they do. And that's a difference. That's a difference, right? Oh, it's fascinating. I love it, really. Okay, just for the matter of, of, of uh, having a complete picture, sometimes learning happens completely on the unconscious level. So you move from ignorance to implicit knowledge. So you learn without being aware of it. You learn by watching role models, for instance. This is how you learn a language when you are a child. This is how you learn social values, norms, when you are a child. Yeah? These things very often have never, uh, ha did never happen in a conscious way. And, and this is uh, pretty much related to what we name 
socialization. Okay, so you see, it's a specific way uh, how, how to look at learning. And by the way, I've, I've posted a video um, about this also on YouTube. Uh, forgot the title of this YouTube. Uh, probably its uh, title is something like Agile Learning. So it's a real video where I present in person exactly this model because I, I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So in strategic terms, let's summarize two statements and um, it was like this learning requires a protected area outside the daily work environment right a seminar room or something like this then we hope for the transfer of learning this is off the job plus transfer right the separation of business context and learning context i don't say that this is a bad idea This very often works well. I mean, actually, this is my profession. University are separated learning contexts. And it's good. It's good. For some, for some situation, that's, 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 that's a good thing. Um, the other strategic statement goes like this. Learning is best done in a real working context. We see no difference between learning and work. Work is equal learning Learning is equal work. So this is real working context on the job. As I said, there is no right or wrong per se, but giving a specific context, the latter one probably is better than the earlier one, right? And the other thing is for your learning strategy, what is your default setting? What is it what you think the first When you think about learning, do you first think about on the job or do you first think about off the job? And this is a matter of your learning philosophy. This is a matter of your strategic learning priorities. Better discuss this yeah, and get a kind of discussion uh, in, in direction and default setting. So what I would like to close with here are some practical implications when it comes to activities in agile learning so let me share with you some some advice um, first what i see with many companies is that they use iterative and an agile project management techniques uh, something like scrum for instance scrum is completely different from from the waterfall principle you know in project management the classic style Uh, in the beginning, we made the project plan, we made our project structure, we made the gun charts and all the things. So we anticipated all the actions that will be required um, over the course of the project and we made de de detailed plans, right? And then once we got the plan, we simply followed up on the plan. We translated the plan into reality, trying to stick to the plan, which could be a good idea, but in a situation where you don't know the outcome, in a situation where you don't know the way to get there, you simply are not capable to define the project plan in the beginning. You don't have the knowledge for that. It's, it's accepted. Full stop. It's how it is. It's a pity. Yes, of course. When the uncertainty is the highest, you might be... You, you, you might cry for a plan. Please give me a plan. There is none. <laughs> okay, so better 
work stepwise, step after step, one step at a time. And Scrum is this technique that more goes into that direction. So involve a Scrum master, learn how to work uh, with the Scrum technique. Uh, use design thinking. Design thinking is a, is a wonderful way um, to make ideas visible. Uh, very often with, uh, with uh, toys, for instance, like Lego. Have you seen some executives building their business model with Lego? It's interesting. Sounds stupid. So, so, sounds really childish. But the idea is to, to translate your, your fuzzy uh, first uh, idea into something tangible, in something that you can take into your hand and show it to a customer. Say, look, this is my idea. <laughs> It's very, very good. Design thinking makes ideas visible. Do prototypes as early as possible. Early prototyping. You know, there's this mantra in Agile uh, project management. Uh, fail fast, fail cheap. Uh, have a prototype of whatever it is of your vacuum, digitized vacuum cleaner show it to the client even even though it looks still ugly or yeah it's it's fine it's fine do something create something do not just show powerpoints uh, have prototypes so that you can really actively ask for feedback from the client not from the boss okay <laughs> it's important Another idea, and I, I, I also posted a video on this. Um, I name it uh, pre-mortem analysis. A pre-mortem analysis is something so cool. Uh, once you have a first solution, once you have a first idea, once you have a first concept, you take some time in your team and you do nothing else than hitting against it. You ask yourself the question, why will this solution not work? Not work. So, I mean, you might know what a, a, a post-mortem analysis is. It's an analysis where you try to understand why somebody died. And, and a pre-mortem analysis is a technique where you think about why will something die? And, you know, in social psychology, we know that there is this effect, we call it groupthink. Groupthink means once a group falls in love with an idea, they protect themselves from criticism. And they don't dare to question their idea. So give room for questioning your idea yourself. And you will see there is enough wisdom uh, in your team, in particular in your team, to question your idea and actively do this. Yeah, it's, it's very tough and it's courageous to do something like this. But really, I mean, it's simple. Have two hours, take a flip chart and just collect All the points, all the reasons you think why your solution solution will fail, then you prioritize all these reasons, and then you talk about how you deal with all these things. You better do it early. You better do it early, and you don't wait until you show it to the client, and the client will challenge. You, you better do it yourself, or your CEO, or, or your investor, or, or whoever. Use all sorts of creativity techniques. Yeah, it's creation. It's not mediation. Use collaborative tools for communication, for learning from and with others. And here's another idea I really love. Run something that we call so-called, and sorry for the word, I did not invent the word, 
run something that is called fuck up events. You know, when you fuck something up, in hierarchical organization, it's not allowed to fuck something up, right? To do a bad mistake. In an agile organization, you give the one who made the mistake a stage. You say, oh, you made a big mistake. That's interesting. Here's the stage. Share it with all others. So, fuck-up event is an event. You can run it on a weekly basis, for instance. In the evening, maybe. It's really fun, yeah? Where project, project teams present their biggest failures. And they tell, look, this is what we did. This were our assumptions. So, we moved on with that idea. And then it failed. And we could prove it based on this. And this is the reason why. And these are the three things we took home from our painful experience. Right, so you shape a culture of 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 failing and and learning, and then the learning part is more important. And you do not hide your failure. Hiding failure is not a good idea because I mean, if somebody really made a mistake, that's an asset because the one who really made a mistake will probably not do the mistake again. It's it's a, it's it's a it's a big big asset. So, and this asset can be shared, right? I, it's, really, it's an absolutely cool idea. Something that you really should avoid in agile learning is something like a hierarchical reporting structure. Really, what kills these kind of learning is when you have an executive above constantly asking for KPIs or something like this. If there is a CEO or an executive who constantly want to see where you stand, invite him into... The next meeting, <laughs> just involve him or her. You will see the reaction. This executive will say, oh, can I just get a report, you know, with traffic lights and so? I would love to see this, but I don't have the time to share your meeting. Oh, you don't want to share our meeting. Hmm, okay, why not? It's not of highest priority. Okay, you won't get the report either. <laughs> yeah, good project managers, they protect their teams from hierarchical executive distraction. Huh? Okay, interesting, huh? Agile learning. That's uh, something new. And you will not find agile learning in most um, HR textbooks. But, you know, in terms of digitization, that might be the future. Okay, so, again, thanks for listening. It's good to having you here. And let's see us next time. <laughs>